reflecting um, the resurrection and celebrating the incarnation this Advent season. And as we um, dig into your word, uh, this letter to 1 Timothy, we ask for wisdom. Uh, We pray that you would bless our conversation together, that we'd use this time to uh, learn how to interpret your word and to apply it to our lives. We pray that you would bless this study, uh, that it would bear fruit in our own lives. For we pray this in Christ's name, and amen. All right, so we are um, picking up, we're moving down to chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Finished... uh, Chapter 4, which was some personal admonitions to Timothy, um, some, uh, some um, sage advice for how to conduct himself as a minister of the gospel, given his situation, given who he is, that he's been called, set apart for this task, but also that he's younger and that he's coming in, he's involved in the church in Ephesus that has its own set of problems. False teachers have, uh, are among them, and, um, and he needs to be cautious. He needs to guard the truth, but he needs to do so in a way that's winsome, that's, that is uh, protecting the sheep while striking the wolves, right? And that's never an easy thing to do because uh, we don't know who the sheep and the wolves are. I mean, a lot of times the wolves manifest themselves, but sometimes they like to put on sheep's clothing, and it looks pretty persuasive. Um, so, you know, he needs to be—he needs to guard his own personal habits, his own personal practices as a minister, uh, to enable him to be equipped to do that work well. So now we're moving into verse or to chapter 5, and Paul pivots to kind of talk about how Timothy should be related to others outside. And so let's begin in verse 1. We'll read uh, just to verse 2, and we'll make some comments, and and then we'll move on from there. Paul says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So he gives basically some broad admonitions for how to relate to the different age groups that you're going to find within the church. For Timothy, remember, he's a young man. He's probably in his 30s. He, he's, um, he's not an older man. And so he needs to relate to older men in such a particular way. Now, some commentators think that he's referring to elders. Uh, the word for an elder is presbyteroi, uh, where we get the word Presbyterian. Um, and they believe that because in verse 17, it uses the same word, picks up the same, this is the same argument that he's making. And he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor. And there he's referring to the elders of the church as in the office of an elder or a bishop, an overseer. Uh, Paul uses the language of elder and episkopos, which is bishop or overseer, interchangeably. He uses them the same way to describe the same person in Titus chapter 1. And so we know that he's not necessarily thinking of two different types of people. Nevertheless, it's, um, 
it was very common in most cultures, ours may be the exception, to show respect and honor to someone who's older than you. Um, it's just common uh, within Greco-Roman culture and within Western European culture in general to show honor to somebody who's older than you, your parents. You respect them because of their age, their station, the wisdom that they might have. So Paul's not saying something that's outside of what would have been expected, um, but it needs to be said because of the position that Timothy has, and that's one of authority, right? He has authority to speak into the congregation, to admonish them, to um, correct them. He's been charged with that. He's been, he's, he, Paul urged him to command someone not to teach this. So how do you reconcile the charge of being a pastor, having the responsibility of correcting faults when you are young and you have all of the social rules that go with age and respect for elders? How do you handle that? And Paul says, well, you don't rebuke an older man. You encourage him. Right? It's not, Paul's not saying, well, if he's old, he's got to take it out and he, you never correct him. You don't, you know, you never deal with him. You just, you know, he's old, can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, many people have tried. It doesn't work. So just encourage him and leave it be. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that your approach, in order for it to be winsome, it has to be respectable. You have to understand your station and you have to come to him knowing his station. This doesn't mean that he can't correct him, but it, but you understand it has to be done in a different way. Um, it has to be done in a manner where it's encouraging him, like a father, like you would come to a father, right? So, um, and the same way, uh, young younger men as brothers. So, um, what Paul is getting at is that principle that Jesus taught that we're to be servants, right? Uh, the Gentiles, they take their authority and they lord it over other people, but we're not supposed to be like that, right? The greatest among you will be the servant of all, will be somebody who considers himself to be the least. So that's all Paul's saying. Look, when you deal with people, you need to understand that just because you have authority doesn't give you the right to bash on people, to just be belligerent and to be abusive with your behavior, Right, and this is a big problem with pastors. How many how many pastors do we find that maybe maybe their moral failure is not sexual immorality, but they're abusive? Right, they use their power to hurt other people. How many of you have been a recipient of that kind of abusive authority? I know I have. It hurts. There's nothing like there's no hurt like church hurt. Right, if somebody in leadership hurts you by abusing their power, man, it really does damage to your faith. And so Paul, his admonitions to Timothy are serious. Of course, in, in, in verse 2, he continues, Older women as mothers, the same as you would an older man. Younger women as sisters. And then he adds, in all purity. And why, why does he add that? Where's Timothy's temptation going to lie? As a young man with young women. Yeah. 
And maybe it might not be his, his, his particular temptation, but just the appearance of evil, right? Uh, this is why it's wise to be cautious as a young man, even an old man, when you're ministering, caring for a young woman, right? You want to be for all, everyone to see that there's no, nothing fishy going on, right? And so you keep everything in public, you follow, you know, the Billy Graham rule, right? You don't take somebody who's not your wife to dinner. Uh, you might not have any intention to sin, nor should, would she, but it looks like something is going on, and you should avoid all those kinds of situations. So younger women, he says to Timothy, in all purity, making sure that you're not leading into um, temptation and that you're not providing a spectacle for people to talk, comment on, uh, that you're not feeding the gossip mills, right? So these are, these are some broad categories, and then he's going to kind of flesh it out in the rest of chapter 5. In verse 3 through um, 16, we're going to talk about how to relate to women, and particularly widows and older widows and younger widows. And then he's going to come and turn in verse 17. He's going to talk about men, in particular elders, how to deal with elders. So he, the broad category we're dealing with is relationships within the community of faith. And so um, let's, let's move on unless there's any questions about verses 1 and 2 or any comments anyone wanted to make. All right, let's. Yeah, yeah, we have mechanisms with that, with, for that within the PCA because we are, as elders, subscribed to the Westminster Confession and Catechism. So if you find an elder who's teaching something that's not within accord of the standards, then you can call him to account. And he either needs to repent or he would be removed as an elder. So, um, yeah, we have mechanisms for that. Um, if an elder is not teaching something that squares with with our doctrinal standards, then he would be corrected. And most likely, if he's godly, he would repent. You know, We make errors in the things that we teach, um, but we, we, always ha- we have a standard that we're driven back to. That's kind of why we have our doctrinal standards, um, because they provide a level of unity and security so that we can discipline, so we can maintain discipline. And uh, there are mechanisms, if we find something in Westminster that's not in accord with Scripture, there's ways we can change that. So it's not a standard that can't be changed, but it is something we've all committed to and said, look, we think this is faithful. We're going to use this as a means of providing unity amongst our denomination. And if we find things that are not faithful, then we'll work on those. We'll change them. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, could he be corrected in the sense of saying, well, you know, what you teach about homosexuality, that's wrong. Yeah. But to still allow him to be a pastor, like, is that possible? It's possible. Um, and this is where the, the debate lies, really. 
what, what will happen with somebody like him who is not just teaching but identifying as something. So it, it's sort of a, it is a challenge because uh, my personal opinion is that he, if he doesn't repent and find his identity in Christ, then he needs to be defrocked. And that means removed of his office. So, um, but I think at this point, if he is a minister, I would, I would want to allow him to have the opportunity to repent and say, look, I stand corrected. I was in error and then repent and then no longer live as if his primary identity was being a homosexual. And, I, and then I would say, yeah, you're just like any of us. You know, we're all sinful and rely on Christ. So, um, but if he wanted to hold on to that, then I would, I would have problems. Um, but if he, say, for instance, he didn't identify as same-sex attracted, but he saw all those teachings that were associated with that, and then it comes out, hey, you shouldn't be teaching that, I think, okay, you could say, okay, I'm sorry for teaching that. That was error. I shouldn't have taught that, and that he could repent in that way, and maybe nothing needs to happen to his ordination, you know. Right. It can, it, the, the presbytery determines that. And what they, they have a way of doing that, and we use what were called exceptions. So if you, have, if you have an exception to something that's within the Westminster Standards, the presbytery can determine, okay, this is a, an acceptable exception. You may teach on it, it because it doesn't strike at the vitals of our religion. But the presbytery is the one that determines that. And you need to register those views with the presbytery. So if, for instance, I started teaching something that was wrong, you can go to the presbytery and say, I don't think this is in accords with the, um, with the Westminster Standards. Now, of course, you should follow Matthew 18. You should come to me first. And then, but, if, but there are ways that you can handle that kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. And the presbytery would determine if, I'm teaching something that's outside of the Westminster, and if that is, in fact, dangerous to the system in a, as a whole. Yeah, it's checks and balances, right? It's not perfect. It's made up of sinful men that make all those decisions. So, you know, it's prone to error, like any council of men, just like the Westminster Standards. Um, and we always have the Word of God is governing all of that. Um, but yes, it, it is a helpful um, checks and balances. And it's one of the things that drew me to Presbyterianism. Uh, because my father was steamrolled in the, in the church. And he had no court of appeal, nowhere to go. Um, and, uh, and that was it. It was so somebody said, you're not doing what we like, and so you're out. And there's nothing you could do. But we don't have that in the Presbyterian church. you know. So uh, that provides some security and comfort. Any other questions about uh, anything we just talked about, but verse 1 and 2? All right, let's move on to verse 3. So he's going he's gonna to begin to talk about widows. So he says, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. 
But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. All right, let's stop there and we'll just talk a little bit about what's going on here. Um, widowhood in the early church as, uh, was a big problem. Remember in Acts chapter 6 what led to the, the apostles saying, we need help. What was it? Yeah, there were, there were some widows who were getting left out. And, um, and the word that Paul uses for honor, it can, be, it can mean just honor, the honor. It's the same word that's used to say honor your mother and father. But it also can mean pay. It, it can mean pay a financial um, care. So uh, honor can include that. So Paul's saying, honor widows who are truly widows. That is, the church has a responsibility to care for a certain kind of widow. Now, that can be abused. And that's, what's Paul, that's what Paul is addressing. So, some have said, okay, this looks like Paul is addressing an ancient order of deaconesses. Um, that are set apart to do this particular work and are enrolled, paid by the church, um, and cared for. Now, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. But what I, I don't think that it's an office in the sense of some kind of service to the church. Um, when you get older, as many of you can testify, um, you are less inclined to be serving and waiting tables. Right, You move into maybe a different sphere where you might be praying. You might be you know, encouraging. You might be coming alongside someone younger with a word of wisdom. Right, um, your, your service will be totally different than, say, a deacon who is tasked with waiting on tables. Um, so I'm, I'm not really convinced that what Paul's talking about is an order of deaconesses. I do think he's talking about an order of widows who are cared for financially by the church. And they have to meet certain qualifications. But everywhere in the scriptures, orphans and widows are near to the heart of God. He really cares for those who are helpless. But you can imagine in a culture where the average lifespan for a man is 37, but women can live much longer. Um, they're not put in the harm, harm's way that the men were, either in because of battle or their work is dangerous. Um, and so, you know, you have obviously upper class people live longer than lower class people in lower class kinds of environments. And the same, so you can imagine the church, which is made up largely of lower class men and some women, and upper-class women, um, um, and largely because the men don't live as long, you have lots of widows. And you get this practice started where the church begins to care for them, and then pretty soon, you know, it's kind of like our welfare state. There's nobody working, and everybody's on welfare. You're like, how are we going to, 
how does this work out? You know, uh, it's, you know, you pray for the five people still working it. work harder so we can all, you know, eat and stuff. But so that's the problem that's facing the church. They got a lot of people they're caring for widows. Some of them probably don't need the care uh, that the church is offering. So if you look at verse four, it says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So what, what is Paul saying there? What's he saying? There are a couple ways to read this, and I want to take a different approach. So let, I want to see what you think. What, what is Paul saying? Family should support the widow. Right. So Paul is making a case, and and so there are two ways to look at this text. First, you can read it like Ruth just said. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, that is her children or grandchildren, first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. You could read it that way. The Greek is sort of ambiguous, but I think what Paul is driving at, the reason why I don't read it that way is because of verse 16. Um, because he, he, he's not going to restate what he already says if he doesn't need to. So he already says that women should take care of widows in their houses, So what I think that he's saying is that widows, if they have children or grandchildren, they should learn to show their godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Does that make sense? Paul's saying if if you're a widow and you have children and grandchildren, you need to show godliness to your own household by serving them, not by serving the church, not by being served by the church. You need to care for your household. Show godliness to your household. Not all commentators go that way, but Calvin does, so I feel pretty safe. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's the way I take it. And the reason is because he's going to go down and address children. He's not saying that children don't have a responsibility to care for widows. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is concerned with addressing a problem that's happening in the church, and that's that these widows are getting support when they have families that they can care for. They can be a part of. They can show their godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. So that's what I think Paul's saying. Leslie. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, no. And that's why he addresses that in verse 16. No. Right. Right. Yep. She does. And that's that's what Paul's trying to draw. He's trying to address a problem. There's too many. We can't support them all. And some of them are abusing it. So. Then he he moves on in verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God 
and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So what's he talking about? What's that? Yeah. How do you be dead while you're living? There's a lot of those. I see them all, all throughout the valley. Spiritually dead, yeah. You're sowing to the flesh, and you're reaping death, right? Um, and so they're on, the, they're on the rolls of the church, and they're out at the casino in Mount Airy, you know, um, doing the penny slots with the church's tithe. So you can imagine a situation where you have a widow who is not continuing in supplication and prayers night and day, and we're going to... We're not even talking about the young widows. We're going to talk about them in a second. But we're talking about those who probably are over the age of 60, but who are still, they have children, they have means, they can care for themselves, but they are on the church's dole. And that is what Paul is addressing. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can imagine the kind of abuses that could take place in that kind of situation if the person who is under the support of the church is not, in fact, a godly Christian. And that's really what Paul's addressing. They're, they're, they're being cared for by the church, but they're not bearing the fruit of someone who, do, who needs that kind of care. They have people that they could rely on, but they're not. And instead, they're, re, they're sowing to their flesh, right? And so they're dead already because of their self-indulgence, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, he shows it. 
um, in their in their behavior. And you know he he's got a strong um, language command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Again, as mothers, right? Timothy's got to he's got to command them. But how does he have to do it as mothers? Uh, there's a certain way of, of approaching them that's going to be winsome, right? So um, we never want to read. We always want to read Scripture in light of Scripture, right? Because you can get the impression when you hear command that it, it is commandeering, right? That you're, you've got a certain demeanor and it's this way. But we have to read command these things in light of what he just told them, which is to uh, not to treat older women as mothers, right? So he's got to keep those things in line together and not pit them against each other. Um, As much as when you see um, somebody who's self-indulgent and dead while she lives, you you might be prone to think, I don't need to show the kind of deference that I would to a mother, right? So even in those situations, the tendency is is to maybe go in the commandeering way. But Timothy needs to keep in mind both. And, of course, the woman, the, the widow, who is um, truly a widow, and what does that mean, truly a widow? That's it. It's just her. She's all alone, and there's nobody else to care for her. She is truly a widow. Nobody for her to care for, and nobody that cares for her. That's the person who qualifies for the church to come alongside and say, we're going to financially support you. Um, Yeah. 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 Oh, of course. And making them a part of our families. Oh, yeah. Nothing about Paul's admonition is is to deter our treatment of widows in some kind of ungodly way. But w- what he's trying to... Def- remember, he's talking to Timothy, who's a pastor, who's tasked with organizing the church. So he's thinking about the finances of the church and not necessarily that all Christians are called to love even their enemies. Right and do good to those who persecute you. So he's not saying that well because they're not they don't truly qualify widows. Ah, let them go. You know, let somebody else. They may have ungodly family who won't care for them. And what what does the church do in that gray area? Well, I, I mean, a wise session would say let's support her. You know, let's bring her in. She her for all intents purpose, even though she has children. And she has maybe, you know, they're not walking with the Lord and they're not honoring her as a mother. And they're going to fall under condemnation for that. But uh, maybe we should come alongside and help her. So I don't think that Paul is saying that um, when we deal with these kinds of qualifications, we should be wooden in the way that we apply them. We should be wise as elders and think through the different situations that we're going to face. They're going to be complex. They're not always going to be the same. But we can make a general rule that unless you're truly a widow over the age of 60, you have done these. I mean, we're going to read some of the tasks that she does. She's an exemplary woman 
who's done this kind of, lived this kind of life. Um, and so uh, she's obviously worthy of the church's financial support. Others may be as well, and the elders will have to use wisdom when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're a fam- the family of God, that the household of God, and so we're, we all have a responsibility, whether or not we're elders or not, to come alongside one another and be with each other and, as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, always. So, Beverly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep, right. Yep, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, totally, and that's what the deacons are for. That's why they rose up, right? There was a need amongst the widows. Some are getting neglected in the daily distribution of food. And uh, so, you know, our diaconate is... A big part of that, their task is to care for, to make sure that those kinds of things aren't getting neglected, uh, whether or not they have kids or not. Certainly, certainly we could provide support. I can't see that we would, it would extend to financial support. A man is always supposed to be able to provide you know, so, um, yeah, 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 and that's why we would want to, we would want to be able to say you need, the session needs to use wisdom. Um, we wouldn't make a law, a, a, a blanket qualification like you would for a woman, but you, certainly you might extend care to somebody who is a widower who can't care for himself anymore. Just Christian charity would lead you to that, you know. Um, but but to make a, you know, this is like a line item in the budget. You know, this is like care for widows. We might not do that for widowers, you know. Um, we might extend them care, but it wouldn't be the same as a group of people that if you reach this age and you have this qualification, you're entitled to the care of the church, right? That's what I think it's saying. Now, unfortunately, our state has supplanted the church, right? We don't care for each other. We, we got Medicare, and we have food stamps, and, you know, the state is doing womb-to-tomb care. Um, that's not what we find in Scripture. That's not what the state is for, right? The state is to bear the sword. Um, they're to execute justice. Um, certainly, they should be concerned for the common good, um, but not to the extent that our current civil government does. And uh, it's obvious they don't do a very good job at it, right? Um, so, yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Right. 
Sure. So yep. Over again, we just now there's a yep. lot more public information on these. Yep. Even if we're not relying on the state. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And Paul addresses that in verse eight. So that's a good segue into that. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. I mean, just sit with that for a minute. That's a pretty stark thing to say. He's denied the faith just because he hasn't provided for his family. What's he saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the argument James makes in... um, in the first chapter, right? If you, uh, well, let me find that. James, towards the end of chapter one, says, Religion that is pure. Uh, let's just back up a little bit. He says, um, If anyone thinks that he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This per- person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, what does it mean to visit orphans and widows in their affliction? It, it, means, it, it definitely means be warm and filled. Right. You enter into their suffering and you relieve it. You go to where they're afflicted and you try to overcome it. Right. Justice is pleading the cause of the orphan and the widow. Because who's going to get bowled over first? It's not going to be the strong guy. It's going to be the orphan or the widow. She's going to get neglected. She's going to get over looked she's not going to get justice and she's going to get bowled over and so paul is saying exactly what james is saying what jesus was saying if you want to demonstrate that you believe in god but you don't love your neighbor you're not believing in god whom you haven't seen right you can't believe in something you haven't seen while mistreating something you do see that's made in that person's image You can't say, I love God and hate somebody made in his image. And you certainly can't do it to the least of these. This is why abortion is so reprehensible, right? Because they're helpless. They're completely helpless. And uh, this is why we get such a, a passionate rage against that. And that rightly so. Because we have a concern for the widows and orphans. Yes. Yep. Mhm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen Ron blush before. <laughs> Yeah, I think you. I, yeah. Yeah, moms teach your sons how to wash their clothes. That's always a good skill to have. And cook, yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, I mean, I would, it would probably fall apart eventually, but, you know, I, was, I would make it a week. Right. I mean, sure, there's, there's. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, it's not revolutionary. They were cared for. Um, they were cared for, expected to be cared for by their family. Often it was their care what came from their dowry. So they were essentially their husband purchased them. And so uh, because of that, the family was still responsible to care for her if her husband died. So she could, if he was wealthy, stay in his house, but most likely she would return to her parents' household and be cared for out of that patra familias. Um, and then if not, she would be cared for by the state. They actually did have that within Rome. So it wasn't uncommon for widows to be enrolled and the state caring for them. Um, so they, they were, but again, if there's going to be abuse, that's where it's going to be because it, we're talking about money, and when you're talking about money and you're talking about the care of poor, you're always talking about a sinful man or woman, but usually a sinful man holding the purse strings who is pocketing lots. Right? Think of Judas. Um, and this is the problem with the welfare system. It's the, give all the money to me and then I'll make sure everybody gets cared for. Well, why should I trust you to do it? Why can't I care for somebody, you know? Um, so the, 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 that's a problem with socialism. Not that we shouldn't be concerned with caring for our neighbor, but that we're a little bit skeptical about the guy who says, I want to hold the purse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
I think the principle is still there. So obviously he has a context. He's dealing with widows. He's dealing with them and people caring for them within the household. But the general principle, uh, because he uses the terms that are so broad, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith. I think that because it's broad, we can make broad applications. Even though the immediate context is widows. Janet? Sometimes people don't know that until they're already swindled, you know. Janet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then she would she would qualify as being truly a widow, right? Yeah, because she's all alone. A widow means all alone. There's a pun on the that's a that's a word play Paul's using. She who is truly a widow left all alone. He's restating the same word. And you know, I think you brought up a lot of good points that we live in a much different culture, right? We have different challenges. Um, and we need to be creative about the ways we handle that. And so pre- preeminently, we, would, we need to think about who are the people that are getting taken advantage of in our culture who are not being cared for adequately, and how can we step in and meet their needs? So maybe that isn't just a widow. Maybe it's a widower who needs... You know, um, Reese Thomas' wife just passed away on Tuesday, and he's 82 years old, you know. So, um, you know, we should be thinking about how can we come alongside this dear brother and serve him, you know. What, what are ways that we can help? And so uh, um, I, he, prob- he doesn't seem to need financial care, but, yeah, he might need some help getting a good meal every once in a while, those kinds of things, you know. So um, I don't think... Paul dealing with a specific issue should make it so we think, okay, yeah, hey, you're only 59 and, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or COVID. <laughs> COVID forced forced a lot of people to learn. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and you know, overwhelmingly, I've been shocked because it's not so much this way in the Northwest where I come from, but many of you I've talked to have had your parents live at your home until they passed away. And I, that is a wonderful practice. Now, a nursing home is a great thing. We, you know, there comes a time where you're not physically able to care for them. They need medical attention, and I'm, so I'm not, I'm not denigrating the nursing home at all. But I think that, especially with boomers and the boomers that are aging, we're really going to see a huge influx in these nursing homes. And remember, this is the generation that aborted their babies. Why would their children feel any connection? Like, you didn't even want us. Why not just euthanize them? They're a drain, right? That, that, our younger generation is, a lot of them are thinking in that, those kinds of terms. Just get them out of, yeah, put them in a, put them in a home or something. And that is not the Christian ideal, we should be bringing them into our home and caring for them as long as we can until it's no longer possible, right? Um, and that, that has an impact not just on them, but on you and your children. They watch you care for your parents. They want to do the same thing. I watched my mother-in-law, not to brag, but she cared for my, uh, my grandma, my great-grandma, uh, for what 30 years because she was a widow very young and that example has always stood with me and uh and so we ought as christians to be bringing our parents back into our homes right and some of us are not close with our parents i'm not close with my parents the prospect of that scares me but it is something that we're called to do right so we ought to be thinking in terms of that not just let's put them off somewhere else yeah Yeah. Yep. 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 Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So you work from the general to the particulars. You never make your rules based on particulars. You always make your rules based on generalities. And then there are situations where your parents are toxic, right? And they are not, um, you will honor them, but your honor will look different than somebody who was a godly parents who loved you and cared for you. You might still find ways to support them, but it might not be bringing them around your kids, right? So yeah, you need to use wisdom. And the, the, there are particular situations that will call for you getting the help of your elders to figure out how you can do that well. Beverly. Yeah, I was going to say, because I've spoken with a few of the elders, and many people that are like 20 years older than me, 
Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it, and it requ- it does require some shift of of your mindset when you get older too, right? You might have been so conditioned by the American dream to think that your retirement or your, you know, the later part of your life is supposed to be comfortable and and away from everyone in silence, you know, but it might it might be good for you to go back to your kids' home and be a part of their lives and to form them in certain ways. So, um, you know, sometimes we're shaped too much by our culture, right? And wanting freedom and, and you know, having this retirement ideal that might not be very healthy uh, for a Christian to, to aspire to. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. We actually have a an, a wing in the PCA that will come and do talks like that, um, end of life care, and uh, particularly setting up trusts and things like that. And but yeah, I've heard I've heard that from multiple people. It can be a nightmare to just sort it all out. And so parents, you know, do it now so your kids are not thrown off. And you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, we need a break for service. Let's uh, pray. Father, we are grateful for this portion of your word, and we pray that as we, uh, we try to live faithfully before you with all the challenges that our culture produces and, uh, and our distance from the first century and the, and the problems that the ch- early church faced, we pray that you give us wisdom as we try to apply the broad uh, general equity of these texts to our own lives and our own situations Pray that you'd bless us, that we would have concern and care for the widow, for those who are truly widows, who need our care, um, and that we would come alongside them and not not just offer financial support, but love and a a sense of familial relationship that we are um, all united together in Christ as brothers and sisters, and that that would be expressed in loving care and emotional support and all of the different ways that we can come alongside one another in the faith. So give us wisdom, we pray, as we apply these things and prepare our hearts and minds as we come before you this morning to worship you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.